It is good to see about God's mercy, isn't it? We need it every single day. And He is faithful to give it. Let's pray as we approach God's Word together this morning. Lord, open our hearts. Open our hearts to receive Your truth. And help us to be changed by it. Sanctified by it. For Your purposes. That the world may know You and see the grace that You've poured out in Christ. Amen. I'm not sure if you've noticed. I won't hold it against you if you haven't, but uh, every week on the back of the bulletin where the notes are, I also include a title to uh, the series that we're going through in the book of Ephesians. The title for this series is and has been Grace Unleashed. Grace Unleashed. It's really the only way that I could find to express in just a couple of words what I think Paul is doing in this letter. In some sense, I think it's Paul's ode to grace. It's his song of praise to grace. He is praising God for grace. He is declaring grace. And he is praying that we would all understand grace. That's his hope. I think he's doing a good job in his letter of doing that. If you remember from last week, Paul was zeroing in on the concept of God's power. The power of God resurrected Jesus. The power of God seated Jesus at the right hand of God the Father over all other powers. The right hand of God made Jesus head over all things. The power of God put everything as subject under the feet of Jesus. And Paul's big point in that section was that the power of God is at work in you and for you. But Paul doesn't want to leave that concept of God's power in the abstract or theoretical. He wants the Ephesian Christians that he is writing to, and he wants us to know something more about God's power. Now, one of the problems with translations of the Bible is that we have chapter divisions. Where in the original, there were no chapter divisions. You know that, right? Those numbers, the chapter divisions and verses, they were not in the original. Paul didn't stop and put a 2 where he was going to start writing chapter 2. They weren't part of the original. I'm, I'm grateful for them, by the way. It'd be really hard to say, well, open up to somewhere halfway through Ephesians or... But sometimes those chapters can be a hindrance instead of a help. They cause us to think that the thought has ended when Paul's just getting started. And with Paul, that's often. See, Paul doesn't stop at the end of chapter 1. He keeps going. He described God's power, and then he goes on to explain how that power is personal to each and every Christian. If you are a Christian, beloved, you have seen and experienced more power already than you could ever imagine. And Paul wants us to know that. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Please open your Bibles and keep them open. Again, if you don't have a Bible under the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible. You can grab that, open it. Again, I think it was page 969. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. 
And here is what Paul is telling us here. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen? May God bless the reading of His holy word. There are three things Paul is saying in this short passage. They're on the outline on the back of your bulletin. Know what you were realize what God did, and understand what you are now because of it. Let's start with know what you were. You'll note on the back that I have a parenthesis there and a blank there as well. I really wanted to capture this thought. So here's what you want to put in that parenthesis. It's know what you were and how bad it really was. How bad it really was. I'm sure you've heard people say this regularly. That before we can understand the good news, we must first understand what? The bad news. Right? Well, that's what Paul is doing here in verses 1-3. through three. Take a look. He is explaining to us the bad news. Now, what do I mean the bad news? I mean the status that we had before Christ came to us. What was our condition? What was our state? What was our, our situation before the grace of God had come upon us? Why do we need His grace in the first place? Now notice this. Paul begins chapter 2, verse 1 with the word and. It's in the same context as the power of God that he really wanted us to understand. And now he narrows his focus onto us personally. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now I remember in, in school, maybe especially in math classes, maybe language classes too, we were taught a formula and then after understanding the principle, how it's supposed to work, we were supposed to apply it. Practice applying it to understand it better. What's it referring to? What's the principle for? What's the formula for? Well, here, Paul's already laid out the principle. He's laid out the formula. And Paul wants us to see the application of God's indescribable power. And here's the application, beloved. Christian, look in a mirror. If you are a Christian and you look in a mirror, you will see the work of the power of God. Look no further than your own life. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. You, O Ephesians, notice the language both in verse 2 and verse 3, were once. There was something we were, at one, we were at one time before something changed. This was your state. You once were dead. Do you believe that? 
This is really important, beloved, for us to grasp. He's talking about our spiritual death. He's talking about our alienation from God. He's talking about our slavery to sin. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what we were. We were dead because of our sins. We were dead as we were walking in our sins. One one person that I was reading, a commentator, said he called us the walking dead. And I thought maybe they should make a show with that name. Another way of understanding this, there was no spiritual life in us. No relationship with God, except as Paul's going to describe a little later, that we were standing under His judgment. That was His our relationship. In fact, we were so spiritually dead, if you can get more dead than dead, but here's what Paul's saying. We're so dead that Paul tells us in Romans 3 that there is no one who seeks after God, no one who knows Him, no, no one righteous, not even one. We couldn't even seek God. That's how dead we are. Or were. As Paul makes clear in other passages, those who are of the flesh, they can't understand or grasp the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit is life. We actually would suppress the truth. Suppress and reject the way to life. That was what we were. That language, by the way, of dead is not enough for us to understand. Paul wants to be clear what our situation was and just how bad it was. He tells us that we were under the power and the influence of three different masters. Now, if you notice that there, but you've got the world, the devil, and our own flesh. So start at verse 2. See what, what's being said there. ESV says we were following the course of the world. But by the way, that language following is probably not strong enough. We were walking according to it. We were, we were caught up in it. We were under its spell, under its power. In fact, as we're going to talk about in a, in a moment, it was natural to us to live the way the world lives. We lived within the world's thought structures. We thought the way they think. We lived the way they lived. We Believe the way they believed. When Paul says the course of the world, he's talking about the system of the world. He's talking about the values that really stand in rebellion to God's ways. That's why Paul uses that language of trespassing. We're we're trespassing God's law by living by someone else's law. The course of the world would include philosophies, other religions, Values, ways of life, including what one author wrote, he said, fashion, media, peer pressure. Really, it's the morality, if you will, of the world. And there is one. And you've seen this, beloved. And we've been influenced by it. There are values present in the culture that most people live by but don't ever think about. They don't even know that we're being influenced by it. They've just lived in it, breathed it, learned it. It's second nature. It's just who we have been implicitly. It amazes me that so many, in, in fact, will say things like, well, Christians are brainwashed when they themselves are the ones who are conforming to the system of the world. They think that theirs is the way of freedom, but sadly, it's the way of greatest enslavement. And that's where we were. And that's Paul's point. We were living just like everybody else. We were in that orbit. We were in that realm. We were in that system. 
And so were the Ephesian Christians before they came to know Jesus. Look at the rest of that verse though, because it gets worse. We didn't just follow the course of the world, but also the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, it's not just the world that's influencing and exerting influence and power over us, but there's a personal being. The prince of the power of the air who is actively attempting to draw us in and sway us and impact us. And What's the air, by the way, referring to there? That the prince of the power of the air? Well, the air in that culture, in that world, would have been known as the playground, or as one author put it, the habitation of spiritual powers. Remember we said that the Ephesians were into gods and goddesses and magic and incantations, and what they believed is that the spirit powers dwelt in that space between the heavens and the earth. It was called the air. It was their domain, and the prince of that domain, the devil, has sway. And Paul says you were under it. We all were. By the way, this is not talking about demonic possession. He's not saying you were all possessed. But it's referring to an influence, a personal attack. If you think about the way Satan lured Eve to rebel against God and how Jesus says that those who lie are sons of their father who was the father of lies. There's a sense in which we are either in the devil's domain or we are in God's kingdom. There really is no middle ground colossians 1 13 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son we have to believe this folks if we're going to understand jesus before we were transferred to christ's kingdom we had another king we lived under his influence We were among the sons of disobedience. We were characterized by that very disobedience. Disobedience to God. Obedience to another. Paul has more to tell us about ourselves before we came to Christ, or better, before Christ came to us. Look at verse 3. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. First off, don't miss this. Paul had started by saying you to the Ephesians. You were dead. But he wants to be clear that so no one is confused that Paul believes that every person is also in this same state before Christ. He says, among whom we all once lived. It's true across the board. It's, it's the state of every human being under Adam. In our natural state, we are drawn away from God, not just externally by the world and the devil, but notice what Paul is saying, by our very own desires. Our very own passions. We can't say the devil made me do it. Our own internal corruption. Our own hearts. Notice this. It's not just physical desires. It's our body and mind do you see that there in verse three our reasoning was warped our thinking was just as impacted as our affections and our hearts we we wanted the wrong things we thought the wrong thing we couldn't see clearly enough to know we were thinking wrong we couldn't understand that we were wrong and so we couldn't look for a way out paul says futility of their minds Elsewhere, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. This was us. should be no surprise to us that what we think is clear and logical is seen as crazy in the eyes of the world. And 
vice versa. There's something in our very nature that's now different. But we were just like the world once. Actually, Paul will pick this up in the middle of verse 3. Do you notice that? Not only were we dead, not only were we under the influence of the world, the devil, and our own flesh, but note what Paul says, we were by nature children of wrath like everybody else. By nature, another way of understanding by nature is by birth, by the very fact that we are natural descendants of Adam and Eve. By birth, we are under God's wrath. We are enemies of God. We are rebels against Him, and so we deserve the judgment that He was going to pour out. And that's what Paul's saying. By birth, as those under Adam, we don't only have his corruption, we have his guilt, we stand condemned. We're facing the death penalty, if you will. We're on death row. That's where we were. That's what we deserved. But look again at that language, by nature. Now one author said that Paul may have used that language because he was dealing at the time with Stoics and Stoics used to use that language by nature and they thought that you have to live according to your nature and that's what would please the gods. In a sense, do what's in you. Paul says, no, no you're getting it wrong. You don't understand. Our nature in that fallen state is against God and under His wrath. If we live by our nature, we offend God. That's why we need a new nature. A new heart. That's why, beloved, something like you do you is such awful thinking. Don't do you. Do what's right. Which isn't decided by my feelings, but by my God. The problem is on our own, all we can do is what's in us. So the picture's bleak. We were dead. We were powerfully influenced both externally and internally by all the wrong things. We were standing under a just condemnation, God's wrath. It's as though we were dead men walking toward death and destruction with no hope, no internal tool to change or even desire change. But God. Two words of glorious interruption. But God, enter hero. Suddenly, everything changes as God breaks in. Look at verse 4. See, Paul wanted us to know what you were and how bad it really was, also that we might, and here's the second point, realize what God did and what that says about Him. Verse 4, because here Paul begins to explain to the Ephesians the best part of their story the best part of their history. He is telling them the story of their lives. It's the part of the story where if you're telling a child a story, they want us to tell that part again and again and again about the hero who came and conquered and broke in. Slow down. Explain it in detail. We love to hear of this moment, but God... Because the situation was dire and there was no hope of escape... In fact, the description of our state prior to Christ is not only dire, it was death, headed toward death. We were already dead, heading to eternal death and damnation. And yes, we deserved it. And yes, I intended the alliteration. But God, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which He loved us. Suddenly the camera turns and zooms in on one character. God Himself. And as though you can see His very heart, Paul describes Him rich in mercy. That word mercy appears here for the first time in the book of Ephesians. But it's not an unknown word. It's an important word. It's a word that is used to translate an important word in the Old Testament. The word hesed. God's covenant and loyal and steadfast love. One author pointed out that it was a word used in the Old Testament often, quote, in a context where God might justifiably pour out His wrath upon His people. But you know, He could have. But He didn't. That's mercy. He should have. But He didn't. He could have justifiably, and He would have been right without anyone having the right to complain about it. That's Paul's point here, beloved. That's what he's trying to help us understand. That's why the bad news is so important. We have to know what our condition was so that we can see how amazing God's mercy is. He does not give to us what we deserve. Judgment. By the way, that's why we have to talk about sin. And we have to talk about sin often. We wouldn't and couldn't possibly understand the Savior without talking about sin. I remember years ago, uh, I had been preaching and someone pulled me aside and she said to me, she said, Pastor, why is it that you talk about sin so much? We want joyful sermons. I responded by saying to this wonderful lady in the church, I can't think of anything more joyful than knowing that we are forgiven of our sins. And until we know how sinful we are, we will never have the joy of the Lord overflowing because we can't possibly know the Lord and what He's done. But He isn't only rich in mercy. Paul adds the whole reason for His interrupting our death God's character acts. You see this in verse 4? Because of the great love with which He loved us. Mercy, love, grace. These are words that go together. I don't think that we need to even distinguish between them here because Paul's just doing what Paul does. He's putting as many words together as possible to say this is big. Paul even uses the same root twice because of the great love with which He loved us. Here's the condition of His love. His own love. There's nothing in the text that tells us we're lovable. We weren't. As a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. If it wasn't clear enough what Paul's saying, look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. We know from Romans 5, he says the same. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we're in the, the trespassing state, God Himself loves us even in our rebellion notice what paul's not saying is that oh we turn to god and that's why he loved us and that's why he poured out us no no don't miss what comes next remember paul's been praying that we would see and understand the power of god that that power is for us and toward us and even in us through the spirit look what paul says in verse five 
about God in us. Beloved, we have already experienced the power of God when we believed, and we couldn't have believed without it. We were dead. He made us what? What does the text say? Alive. That means we were dead. He resurrected us. Beloved, if you are a Christian, you have been resurrected. Can you believe it? You have been resurrected. And he says he has raised us up with him. His power has seated us in the heavenlies above every other power with Christ. Paul's saying, see the power that you have already experienced when you came to trust in Jesus. It was because he took you from death to life. It's because he removed you from the domain of darkness and placed you in his kingdom of light. Christian, you have already experienced resurrection. And we must remember it every single day. You know the power of God. You would never have believed without it. Do you believe that? If He has already revealed to you that glorious power to give you life from death, all that is left is for us to have grateful hearts and live lives of worship until we see Him, as we sang earlier, face to face. If death meant that we were under the power of the world, the devil, and the flesh, then being made alive with Jesus means that we're no longer under the dominion of those things. We're free. Believe it. There's more. If death meant that we were under the wrath of God, under the constant threat of condemnation that we deserved, being made alive with Jesus means that there is no threat any longer. We don't live out of fear. We don't live out of guilt. We don't feel despair. The wrath of God has been taken and we can live freely as co-heirs with Jesus. Amen? We go from being those on death row waiting for the death penalty to those who have hope of a coming inheritance of the riches of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And don't miss this. It's always in Christ, with Christ, that these things are ours. It's our union with Christ, again highlighted here by Paul. What happened to Christ happens to those who are in him christ resurrected and so have we christ is seated in the heavenlies and so are we because we are in him every moment that we remember that we believe this good news it's evidence that the power of god has freed you every time you resist temptation against sin it's evidence the power of god is in you Every time you bear the fruit of the Spirit instead of selfishness, which is more natural to us, it is evidence that the power of God is in you. Every time we remember the hope that we are no longer under the judgment of God, but under His grace, it's a reminder that the powerful grace of God has worked in you. How big is our God? How amazing is His grace? He's brought us back to life. Know what you were and how bad it really was. Realize what God did and what it says about Him. Finally, our third point, understand what you are now and live like it. Who are we now? Look at verse 7. 
Paul has just explained what God has done because of His glorious grace. He's explained the power of God that Paul really wants the Ephesians to know they've already experienced personally. Having been saved by God's grace. Verse 7 tells us the result and the purpose. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His what? Grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this, God has done all of this to us by grace. And He's done it so that the kindness of God will forever be displayed in us. Wherever we are, whether in this age or the age to come, we stand as witnesses of God's kindness. We are the revelation of His kindness. Because of who we were and who we are now, we declare that God's grace has done a work. People see us, they see the recipient of God's grace. Angels see us, they see the recipient of God's grace. Other Christians see us, they see the recipient of the grace of God. I said a few weeks ago, and it bears repeating, we are trophies of God's grace. The trophy isn't the focus the one who earned the trophy is. We live out who we are because of what Christ has done. The church is a gathering of what one author called a society of pardoned rebels. When people come into our local church and they see us, they should be well aware that it is not about us, but about a gracious God who has brought us here. They should see lives changed Love overflowing, truth declared, burdens lifted, and an acknowledgement that none of this comes from us. We live to reveal His kindness. That the God of the universe has loved the unlovable. And now as His adopted children, so must we. Know what you were and how bad it really was. Because only then will you realize what God did. And what that says about Him. And once you've gotten that down, you can understand what you are now and live like it. For His glory and by His grace. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, there may be some in this room who have yet been unwilling to acknowledge that they are dead in sin. Some who yet to understand that they are trapped in the ways of the world, yes, the devil and their own fallen hearts. But for the grace of God, we would all still be there. Help us to recognize this reality, understand it, and live in light of the glorious grace that You have poured out on us. That You have already shown us the power You want us to understand that we could never have believed if not for Your powerful grace working in us. And so we can trust You until we see You face to face. And we can declare this grace to others. And so Lord, today, may today be the day of salvation for those who are here if they have not yet tasted of the goodness of the grace of God. 
May they seek out a conversation with one of the elders or other leaders here in the church to talk about what this means that Christ has done this work for us. Grow us in faith, deepen our knowledge of You and our desire to live and worship. Our gracious God, in whose name we pray, Amen.